This is the Thursday Night Podcast. Your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor and I'm joined by the whole crew this week. David, Brady, and Jordan. How are we feeling? Texas State. Oof. <laughs> Oof is right. Oof is very right. Oof yeah. stands on its own merits. <laughs> A quick recap for the listeners at home. Georgia State fell to Texas State in triple overtime, losing 37 to 34. Panthers fall to 0-1-1 in conference play, 2-2 two and two on the year. I mean, watching that game, if you looked at it, it didn't feel like it was that bad. Um, it was a little sloppy, not going to lie. And the, I mean, the turnovers weren't great. Obviously, you never want to turn the ball over, but it didn't, it didn't feel like the game was ever out of hand. It just really, really stings, you know, not ending up coming away with a win in San Marcos. Really, really unfortunate, honestly. Yeah, I mean, as you touched on, the mistakes were, you know, the standout thing. The the, the mistakes, the, the turnovers, and otherwise, as we can get to, were the reason that wasn't a win, and maybe even a comfortable win at that. I mean, it, the way that the, the offense was rolling through the middle of the game the the only people stopping them were Georgia State players. <laughs> um, but I guess if I had to just say a, a common thread between this game and other games this year, it's it started to become a problem with closing off games. Uh, the the offense and defense couldn't coalesce to end the Furman game before, you know, Furman had an onside kick to take to try and get the ball to take the lead when there was an interception and the offense could have made it a three-score game and didn't. And this game was a similar way, where at the end of the game and in overtime, and we'll break that down more specifically after this, there were chances to just kill it off, and the, for whatever reason, the players and the coaches, that just it didn't line up and the game didn't get killed off, and that's going to cost you games. Yeah, it's not great when you can't put teams away. Um, you know, it's... It was frustrating too because there was a lot of improvement that Georgia State made as that ga- as that Texas State game went on, and it just it seems like from the beginning they weren't going to get out of their own way. And if they did get out of their own way, you're right, that was probably a comfortable win. And we're sitting here talking about the three and one Panthers with the one and zero record in conference play, but instead, you know. We're sitting here lamenting about the little things. It's Matt and Marshall not going out of bounds immediately. It's, you know, the weird running call at the end of the fourth quarter to potentially have to set up a field goal to tie it to send it to overtime. You know, it's it's just little stuff like that. And I think if Georgia State's capable of cleaning up those things, you know, completely different record, completely different team, but it still feels like we're being, you know, we're talking about those small things, you know. It's the small things that are totally in your control. So just running down a few of the things that happened. There was Dan forced to throw the first drive interception, gives Texas State the ball in field goal range to start, and that's what they get. Uh, Cornelius McCoy muffs a punt inside his own red zone, and he really should have let the ball just bounce and just hope that it didn't stay in uh, the field of play. He he got it just it didn't line up right and he ended up trying to catch it. It was like about at his shoulder and just didn't have it. And then it was literally the easiest touchdown Texas State or any team is ever going to score. Really, they just fell on in the end zone, 
And that was when they took the lead 10-7, ended the first quarter, and they had 46 total yards because both of those plays set up the, the Texas State team either literally in the end zone or right within scoring range without them having to move the ball at all. And it could have been a different story. The offense was moving the ball successfully. Uh, the the defense was getting stops early on uh, throughout the game, really. Uh, we'll move back to the defense in a bit, but the defense was getting stops. And it could have been a thing where it was 14-7. It was, you know, 17-7, you know, 17-3. It, it could have been a situation where it was starting from a more place of comfort rather than going into the half tied, going down for most of the third quarter and then having to come back. No, you're, I mean, you're right. Like we can we can stay and talk about the defense. If you look at the yards given up by the defense, you know, they gave up 221 yards, but that was on 50 carries. And obviously 221 is a big number, but it took them so many carries just to get that. And Georgia State truthfully did a better job this week of limiting those long plays, those long rushing plays that burned them so much when they went to play Western Michigan. And I mean, you you could tell that they were trying to make some adjustment and it was it was a lot more of a bend don't break type of defense, which, hey, that's sometimes you have to play that way. Uh, and they, I they, mean, that's the way the scheme is a little bit designed to be, which is why it's frustrating for fans and I'm sure players, coaches alike that big plays have happened a lot because the scheme is pretty much set up to keep everything in front. And so when that doesn't happen, there's an issue. But yeah, no play bigger than 28 yards for Texas State. Uh, no run bigger than 22 when the defense was getting shredded in the run game against Western Michigan. It's not like it's like a moral victory or anything, but it is promising to see that at least that part of it got cleaned up. Certainly disappointing. Very disappointing. And I think that it would be easy to say preseason Georgia State two and two entering the second game in conference play. There'd Um, be a certain like, yeah, I'll take that mentality. But if you look at the context of the way the season has gone, starting two and zero, especially the way that we did, and then a truly, I mean, just. That's the word I'm trying to think of here. A truly deflating loss at Western Michigan. And then to come back this week against Texas State at a really deflating loss in a completely different way. A game that was absolutely in our control. We had it and then it just slips away from us in triple overtime. I mean, we could get into don't miss two kicks in overtime. Ultimately, I don't think this loss falls on the kicking or it doesn't fall you know, you would have liked to see one of those. I'll go a step further. This the game did not come down to kicking because the kicking shouldn't have been a factor. The, if anything, Brandon Wright should have kicked an extra point in regulation, uh, and in overtime, shouldn't have kicked anything. You know, other than the one extra point in the first overtime. So we should talk about the end of the game. Uh, down three, Georgia State has the ball in the Texas State red zone. Drove pretty well down the field. Got help with some penalty calls, but name of the game at that point it felt like they had enough time to score and time wasn't going to be a negative factor uh but as david alluded to earlier malin marshall catch the ball in bounds doesn't just take the easy way out of bounds goes down in the field of play state has to burn the time out with just over 30 seconds remaining and coach was uh heated definitely not happy and even still that changed the complexion of the end of the game you know it did 
even still, I just I, I will not understand the logic behind the run play with 15 seconds to go and no timeouts. Uh, you have definitely two chances at the end zone from the two yard line to throw the ball. And you've got big old targets. You can have Dan throw it to and say, Hey, QB go win this game. Uh, if you run the ball, you get one shot and you barely, it has to go to review for you to even get the second put back on to get the field goal to tie it. And it just, it didn't feel like the mentality of let's go win this because I know they trust the run game, but it's just a numbers game. You get one shot if you run the ball. You get definitely two, probably three, if you're smart with how quick you get rid of the ball, passing the ball in that situation. And they had already interfered twice in the end zone. <laughs> uh, so you felt good about your receivers winning matchups and at worst getting a penalty because, you know, they're in the good position. Yeah, like that's... I think that's the most frustrating thing, you know. Obviously, you know, I don't think we hit on Coates all get all day, but shout out Destin Coates. He had a phenomenal game. Um, really stepped in for Trey, who is hurt? Question mark. He left with an injury. Uh, okay, that, I saw that he left, but I don't know. I haven't heard anything this week about uh, his status moving forward. But it's a bye week anyway, so yeah, I'm that's not the surprised. one. The one virtue of the bye week is. Seth Page missed the game with an injury. Trey Barnett left the game with an injury, but with a week off, you know, no reason to think we have to rule them out for the next game against Arkansas State. But anyway, you were talking. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Destin was running incredibly well all game and even on that last drive, but it just didn't make sense to run the ball from the two. Just at all. Especially because the Texas State defense, the number one this is what they, you know, this is what they can write home about. Their linebackers are good. Brian London in second is a really good inside linebacker. It just, especially if you're going to run, which I don't think you should. I don't know why a straight halfback handoff up the middle against that front is what made sense. It just, it, unless they just saw a look, unless it was a thing where they were going off of look, but even then it just felt like a thing where coaches outsmart themselves a little bit and overthink it when you do what anyone does in that situation nine times out of 10. There's a reason why coaches don't call run plays often in that situation. It just isn't the smart play. And it followed on. It's a different situation, but Georgia State has the ball in second overtime. Texas State has missed a field goal. So all Georgia State has to do is score. But at the same time, it felt like the play calling was just, well, let's try and maybe move the ball up a little bit, get a little bit of a shorter field goal for Brandon. There was a pass play on second down, but it just didn't feel like smart, like let's go for the jugular play calling. First down was a sideways run play, and then third down was a run literally to center the ball for Brandon, right? And it it was 45. The second one? I think it was 44 off the top of my head. The first one was 46. 46. It's not like a gimme. I mean, one, the wind was doing some crazy stuff that night. Uh, It was a lot of crosswind from what we've heard. And just college kickers, you don't want to just say, yeah, let's go, you know, go out and boot that 46-yarder. It's nothing about Brandon. Uh, Brandon had given every confidence that he could hit that kick beforehand. He'd had a good year to start. Um, But it just 
if you go for in that opportunity, there's a chance that a Texas State defense is a little bit deflated or a little bit pressing just because of what just happened where, you know, they see that they're against the wall. I would just have liked to see, especially with how Sam Pickney got the touchdown in the first overtime, you know, maybe play action, maybe something like give him a look downfield and see if you can catch them in their feels, <laughs> you know, as it were, and, and see if you can take a shot at the end zone with one of your skill position players. And it, it just felt like they were playing for the field goal and that cost them because you can still get the field goal. If you, you know, get a first down or two and move the ball down the field and you get stuffed inside the five and it's a different situation. It's, it's still relying on the field goal, but if you go for it earnestly and you can move the ball, it, it sets you up better than what just felt like the super conservative play and it was what cost it. I mean, you can say it was literally the kicking game, but it wasn't because the kicking game shouldn't have been a factor. No, it absolutely shouldn't have been. And we've danced around it a little bit. Uh, I'll go out on a limb. I know that the fan base writ large is probably not thrilled with the defensive coordinator and the defensive scheme and everything, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say the defense gave up 20 points this game in regulation because seven of the points were on the muff punt in the end zone. If your defense only allows 20 points, that should set you up to win most games at the FBS level. Uh, yep. And it didn't happen, not because of the defense. Uh, so I would say I understand that there's issues, and uh, we actually got a question about this later. But for this game, I don't think the defense is where you can really... I think that they could offer more, could have offered more if disruption and forcing plays. But the, the fact is they gave the team a chance and that wasn't the case in the last game. And I think that that's worth noting. And hopefully it's a performance they build on and continue to do in the next game because Arkansas State, Coastal, teams that offer a lot in the run game and it's going to be something where they're going to have to keep positive momentum going even though the, the record has gone where it's gone. Speaking of the record, I kind of hit on it earlier, but two and two after two and zero, oh, how does that feel? Well, if you would have told me we were going to start the season two and two, I would have probably said, "All right, that's a pretty reasonable guess. It's it's not it's not too far outside the realm of possibility." But for one of those wins to be at Tennessee and at home versus number eleven FCS Furman, and then you go on the road and you just get absolutely steamrolled by Western Michigan, who in their own right is a good team. But then the next week, you go and you lose to Texas State in triple overtime, a team that hasn't, or at that point, hadn't been favored in over three seasons yeah. as far as the spread goes. That that just, that's disappointing. Like two and two, I can live with two and two, just purely record-based, but those are not the games I thought we were going to win, or at least Tennessee wasn't. I thought for sure we would have beat Texas State, we would have been competitive with Western Michigan, but... That just wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, the context matters because you're right. I think a lot of people would have taken two and two coming into the year if they knew that was going to be the September record. But when you add the context, I mean, people, if you go and beat a, a name brand like Tennessee, if you lose two of the other games, especially this last one to a team that I don't know. We don't know how the season goes for them, but it's very possible that's their only win against an FBS team. And so in that way, it's definitely a tough loss to make it two and two 
the the 0-1 in Sunbelt play, I think, is the bigger hit as far as, I mean, you could be the lone team in first place and you can rack up that one. And now you can go 500 the rest of the way and make a bowl game. But that win just for every reason would have made your life easier. And I think it would have made fans a lot more comfortable with where the team was at, no matter if there were still questions about the play of the last game, if you get out of Texas with a win, you can at least say three and one and you can take that positive momentum into the bye week. I mean, I would expect that this will have been a a pretty brutal bye week for the team. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) uh, I I can't imagine that it's very fun to have to sit with this loss for as long as they're going to have to think when you think about it, uh, Texas state is still in the West division. So we're not in horrible shape moving forward. But the East is pretty brutal, and it's, I mean, judging by App State just beat UNC at UNC, App and Coastal are playing this weekend, which I think should give us a little bit of a better idea of what it's going to look like in our division. But uh, if we play like we have been playing, or especially this past week at Texas State, I don't think we have much of a chance of going anywhere well, with regard to the title race, at least this year. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of where we're going... I think you're right that <laughs> for my point of view, I can't really get a handle on what this Coastal Carolina team is. So seeing them play App State, who I think we have a better idea of who they are, uh, it'll give me an idea of where they're at. And it's a opponent coming up two games from now, so that'll be important. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you're right in that if they play the way they did with the mistakes and with the getting in their own way, I think that you're right, that the team isn't really going to do much. But if they take that part of it out, which is entirely their own doing without anything of what any team on the schedule is going to do, if they fix the things that just relate to Georgia state, there's talent on this team and the talent Mm -hmm. is starting to meld a little bit better. Sam Pickney, we've thrown his name out a couple of times already because he had a great game and he's had a couple of great games and Dan is obviously getting comfortable using him and the running back core. There was a bad fumble, but David was right that Destin Coates had a really good game and he's the third string. Uh, There's the running back depth that hasn't been in this program before. And the offensive line, because of the standard they set the first two games, again, it wasn't a perfect game for them. Much like Texas State, Georgia State wasn't terribly efficient running the ball. They had 204 yards on 53 carries. But the talent's there. So if if you take out the other stuff that has nothing to do with the talent or has nothing to do with the other team, there's something there. I mean, I think that the Dan at QB and the talent that exists gives you a chance in most games. It's just about going to be about the defense a little bit, and it's going to be about the little things. It's what David started with. It's going to come down to the little things. That's what FBS winning football is about. It's doing the little things right. Agreed. I do want to touch on that. When I saw the schedule come out preseason, uh, we had an early buy. I was a little hesitant. I'm generally not a fan of early buys um, in special football and uh, FBS, you know, football, just in general. I prefer a later buy. But now that we're on the bye week, I couldn't be more glad that Georgia State has a buy now, week five, rather than have to go through another three weeks of football to get to the next bye week or to get to our bye week. Uh, I think that Brady said it, this is probably a pretty brutal week for the members of the team. But that being said, I think that if Georgia state is to turn around their season with regards to the last two weeks, 
and, and bring together a couple of wins. I think that we'll look back and see that this bye week was really important for us. Well, want to get healthy. I mean, do some guys are banged up, but also kind of just like have a mental reset to be able to kind of expunge the last two weeks of football from our collective brains. And when it comes to college sports, you kind of have to have a short memory. I mean, the, the trope is, you know, <laughs> onto the next game. We're on to, you know, we're on to Arkansas state, but I truthfully think that the opportunity to exercise a little bit of those, a couple of those demons really kind of mentally reset and start preparing for a, a tough home game against a, an Arkansas state team that just lost their quarterback. If I'm remembering correctly, yeah, just today as if this is not this podcast, he announced. Yeah, this is a game that Georgia state absolutely can go out and win. And I think it's more going to come down to the approach and the mental side of it, because we've seen flashes. The talent is there. It's just a matter of putting everything together. And like Brady said, it's just taking care of the small things. That's how you win in college football. You don't beat yourself. You execute the things that you can control and you put yourself in a position to win. And ultimately, I think that this bye week is going to come in real handy for Georgia State if we want to turn around the performance of this team to reflect what we saw the first two weeks and kind of get away from what we've seen the last two weeks. Spoken like a true coach. I'll be taking no questions at this time. <laughs> Spoken well, you like have a check Speaking of taking questions, so we're going to try something new this episode of the podcast. We actually reached out on social media to our fan base, uh, you guys. Thank you for listening. And we said, hey, if you have any questions you want us to take a look at during this next episode of the podcast and answer, then hit us up. And we had a couple people do just that. So, uh, gentlemen, I'm going to pose these to you and let's uh, hear your thoughts. Taylor via Facebook asks, how can this team stop the run? It's nothing complex teams have thrown at us. Is it an athletic thing or is it just poor preparation? Gentlemen? I think it varies, which is a terrible cop-out answer. Um, but I think you have not seen it be the same way twice. Um, part of it has been a little bit of being out of position um, and it's college football. Once a guy just has a burst of speed on you, you know, there, there in comes that athletic thing where he's just going to beat you to the end zone. Um, I obviously can't speak for Fuquay does in practice. Um, I obviously also can only see what the games tell me. Um, the scheme is designed to stop big runs and the last couple of weeks, they have uh, it has not done that. So I don't really know where I can land on your question, Taylor, because I think it could be a little bit of both. Honestly, I think some of it comes down to, like you said, sometimes guys will get that one step ahead or just be a little bit out of position and not keeping guys in front of you, I think has been a big problem of ours in the run game specifically. There have been some instances in which some poor tackling has led to big plays. I'm not going to sit here and say that Georgia state in general is a poor tackling team because I don't think that's true, but there have been some instances, especially in the, the Western Michigan game. I mean, we have a plethora of busted defensive plays that we can go back and look at. I'm kind of willing to throw that game out as an outlier. I don't think Georgia State's going to get blown out 57 to 10 again this year. I hope. But that being said, I think that 
part of the reason that we've struggled against the run is that sometimes, at least in my perspective, the linebackers and guys in that second level have made a snap decision in the moment which has turned out to be the wrong one, whether it be taking a different angle on a tackle or reading a run through the offensive line in the wrong way that goes back to setting themselves up for success and keeping guys in front of them, making sure they're taking the right angle on tackles, all that kind of, it's, it's kind of just like a lot of little things that are leading up into bigger what like there's no one specific thing that I could say this is the reason why Georgia State hasn't been able to stop the run this year. But it's it's a lot of small things that are compounding and magnifying each other in ways that is making it easy for us to get into spots where we're struggling against the run. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I I would also just pause it again. I think that ultimately, if things aren't going right, if there's issues with preparation or with whatever, it ultimately goes on the coaches to fix it. So don't let this come across as being critical of players. Um, but I'll take the the touchdown drive for Texas State where they it was 15 play drive at 13 of the plays were runs. Throughout that drive, the defense was schematically set up, stacked in the box pretty decently, and it was set up to not let the run beat you. And that's what happened. And so when that happens, you can't necessarily look at it as like a, a coaching schematic, like the scheme sucks thing in the, in the sense that on paper, it should have done the job as far as the run and made them switch it up and start throwing a little more. And it didn't. And they just kind of dinked and dunked in the run game a little bit. And I think that specifically with the scheme, it's sort of set up to where the plays are supposed to be funneled towards certain players and it's supposed to funnel towards a certain side of the field. And I think there's been instances where whether it's guys just getting beat on a block or whether it's getting put, getting themselves out of position, there's been times where the person who the play is supposed to get funneled towards either isn't in his place and there's a hole there for the guy to take, or there's been a case where the guy who's supposed to funnel the play a certain way has missed his chance to do so. And the defensive play doesn't work as it is. I don't know that if the scheme isn't going to change, what's going to change other than just that's ha- that happens less. Um, but I I think that people aren't a huge fan of the scheme, but I think that there's the method is just keeping the play where you want it to go, choosing the direction of the play. And if it isn't happening, then it's leading to a big problem. Next question that we got was from at Jay Weaver four. What are your starting lineup predictions for men's basketball? And who else do you think sees significant minutes? Yeah, I'll take a crack at it. Um, spent a little, little bit of time talking pre-recording about this. Um, the interesting thing that, to, in my mind, that it comes down to when talking about who's going to be starting, who's going to be getting big minutes is because this is such a of turmoil is the wrong word, but transition, change, getting settled in with a new coaching staff, getting new players in the coaching staff, getting familiar and comfortable with the players we already have. It'd be hard to nail down necessarily outside of, you know, your Canes, your Damon Wilson's of the world, who is going to be the one that takes that step up to be able to, to fill that starting role, be able to fill that six man role, get consistent minutes off the bench. That being said, this is all just conjecture. We don't really have any insider information about rotational, anything like that. But I'll, I'll say that for sure, 
Damon Wilson and Kane Williams are going to be starting, you know, in the backcourt for us. I'd also posit that, you know, Nelson Phillips will get minutes in that rotation as well. I think that Chris Clerkley and Josh Linder are going to see more expanded roles than we saw them last year or in previous years under coach Hunter, just by virtue of those guys have been around the program. They have some good size that they're able to bring to any lineup that the coaching staff wants to throw out there. And I don't think you really saw their skill set utilized a lot under coach Hunter because it was a lot of talent ahead of them when it comes to, you know, the senior class we just graduated. Um, the interesting thing that I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out is the big man rotation, because we have a lot of size that's been brought into the program, but they're also young. And I don't know how coach Lanier is going to tackle the issue of, of rotating in younger guys, but also keeping the experience that we have already on the roster engaged as well. So I'm interested to see what the rest of us or the rest of you guys have on this question as well. I'll just go through real quick and then circle back. So I got Kane Williams, Nelson Phillips, Damon Wilson. I've got Josh Linder and I've got Joe Jones. One of the freshman big guys is the center. Um, I just think, especially with all the coach leaders talked about, about, wanting that size and wanting to be that defensive, you know, 60 feet of pressure. I think that there's almost no way given that, that Nelson and Damon aren't running the defense in that way. And I think that they're going to get the starters minutes there. Um, I think Corey Allen could be a starter by the end of the year. I think that being a transfer, having sat a year, getting back into the groove of things, especially as a shooter, I think it'd be very likely he's kind of more a sixth man type. He's first guy off the bench kind of a rhythm shooter to start. And we'll see where that leads as the season progresses. But that's, I think he's also a starter talent from everything we've heard. It just might not happen game one with him. And as far as the front court, uh, Linder's looked good in limited time he's played and when he's been comfortable with what he's being asked to do, like Taylor alluded to, it's a new staff. And while both of them were coach Hunter recruits, it never really felt like they clicked in the zone defense system. It felt like maybe they were being asked to play a size too high, you know, play a different role than what they were suited for. And it, it they basically racked up a lot of fouls and that could still happen in a man's man scheme. And especially if they're playing a lot of minutes, but I do really want to see what they bring as the upperclassmen they are now. And it's basically a coin flip between the two freshmen, uh, Joe Jones and Jalen Thomas, as far as the last guy. I think they're going to play just because Coach Lanier's guys and he's going to want to see what they've got. And that's what I got. All right. And our last question for today, uh, Brad on Twitter, at XIBradIX, asks, do you think it's realistic to think that we will repeat as Sunbelt champs this season? Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and start off. Uh, there's been so much turnover as the rest of us have alluded to. I just, I don't know that I would be confident in putting that as a lock, but you, you, you can't count the team out yet. Like there's a lot of youth, but there's also a lot of really good talent coming back. I honestly see this team right now at probably around the three to five spot, but you never know what happens. It's the season doesn't start for what another month. There's plenty of time. I mean, there's going to be adjustments in this new coaching staff and new players coming in, but I don't know. I'm not going to say yes. I'm not going to say no. We'll see. 
what I would say is the league as a whole is seeing a fair amount of there's no real front runner that's returning. Uh, Georgia State was the conference champion and the conference tournament champion, lost a lot, replaced their coach. So you can't bet on them to definitely continue what they were doing. Uh, UTA was in the final and they return a fair amount of their core. But if I'm honest, I mean, and UTA fans are, if they're listening, they're not going to like this. I don't know how much I buy that team being that good again this year. We'll, we'll see. Um, but past that, you're looking at teams that lost some key pieces, uh, some more than others. Uh, I think Tukey Brown is a big loss for Southern. I think Jakeen and Gann is a massive loss for Ulala, Louisiana Lafayette. So the point of all this being, there's kind of a place where if Georgia State settles into a groove by conference play, whatever kinks they have to work out in non-conference play, it's a team that's been there, won before, and I would put the backcourt against any backcourt in the league. And so if you've got guards, you've got a chance. And so with the history this team has winning in the Sun Belt, I I would probably put the odds better than other people. Uh, I think it's pretty decent. Uh, I just think that there's not that much in the way of locks as far as Sun Belt play. We'll, we'll learn a lot about the league in the early days of conference play, like who's there, who's legit, who isn't. I agree with Brady graduating four seniors, losing coach, new coaching staff coming in lots of roster turnover. We're going to figure out who this team is. I think early in the season. Um, I think that what Brady said absolutely rings true for me is when you have a good guard play, I like our chances against anybody in the league. I think that Kane Williams is going to take a big step this year. A lot, a lot, a lot to like from him, especially paired up next to a guy like Damon Wilson, who is just an absolutely lockdown defender, can get inside, work the ball around, able to create opportunities to get out in the open floor on transition stuff. My worry is the one we do have experience coming back, but also we just lost a lot of experienced players. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see where the leaders in this team are going to step up, rise to that challenge. But also, I totally agree with the idea that, you know, you have good guard play, you can compete with anybody. That's the one thing that I do think Georgia State is the plus against anybody else in the Sun Belt. I think a lot of it's going to come down to whether or not the guys on our roster that have been coach hunter holdovers are going to be able to mesh well with coach Leader's system, implementing that in his first year as well. So I don't know if I'm necessarily writing Georgia state in as the favorites for repeat as Sunbelt champs this season, but I absolutely think they'll be competitive come Sunbelt conference tournament time. And at that point, you know, teams can get hot at the right time. And I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm not booking it right now in September. I'll say that this team of this conference has so much variance. You know, it's really hard to say Um, there's I feel like there's always a new team that just sparks up and, you know, is trying to dismantle the the blue bloods of the conference, if you will. I think. The funny thing, Taylor kind of hit on it. We're, you know, we we talk about how this year is going to be the year for Kane Williams. Um, you know, what's his leadership position going to be like? What you know, can he shoulder the load? You know, as kind of being that guy, if you will. And I, I you know, I, I want to be hesitant on that because it 
if you look at the roster, it seems like this is the first time that he's done this. But then if you remember the tournament, not last year, but the year before, he kind of did this same thing. And then in the tournament last year, he also did the same thing. So I feel like I don't want to sit here and say that Kane Williams is going to be, you know, that DeMarcus level type, you know, we've seen him lead this team before already, especially at times where the Panthers have needed a scoring option, just one bucket. That's it. Kane is the only guy to get it. You know, I don't see why they can't three Pete. I truthfully don't. If, if everybody comes back in the conference and is healthy and, you know, obviously they have a new system. I get that. I do. But the defensive system really is the one that's going to be changing for the most part. Obviously the offense will be probably looked at in a different light, but Hey, you never know. Right. Especially if you have somebody whose game translate to most systems like Canes does. I think what we're all kind of touching on in our own different ways is that the ceiling is there for Georgia state to absolutely go back and three peat. I think that in a best case scenario, if you subscribe to the multiverse theory where every piece in our rotation plays great season and coach Lanier thrives in his first year that, and Georgia state absolutely can come back and win the Sun Belt again in a more realistic sense. I think there will be some stumbling points on the way that maybe we haven't even thought of yet. Maybe, you know, there's, an injury maybe there is uh some not like a hangover but a lot of ter- a lot of changes have come in this offseason that i think have it's expected that there's going to be a little bit of drop off in performance especially and harp on this enough graduating four seniors and starting five is going to be a detriment to any team in the country i don't care who you are i don't care what school you play for graduating the talent that georgia state did this past year is going to be a hit to any team but it is still September and we don't really know. This is just four guys on a Skype call just talking about sports. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to who's going to be able to step up and fill those leadership roles and get onto the court. And then after that, we'll just see what happens. All right. Well, moving on into some housekeeping slash Thursday night things. Uh, We are currently running a follower engagement survey. I'm sure if you follow us on Facebook or Twitter, you've seen us posting the link to that. It is live on our website right now at thursdaynight.com slash survey, or you can just go to the site. It's right there on the front page. We've already gotten some pretty good responses that have given us some good ideas uh, for things that we can look to in the future. Actually, this uh, Q&A segment we just finished was uh, kind of adapted from one of the suggestions we got. Uh, The person that requested that was originally asking if we could do like a live chat feature or video feeds. Uh, This podcast is actually pre-recorded. Believe it or not, we don't do this live. We pre-record and then I go back in and I edit and make sure that everything sounds good and everything's ready to go. And then it gets posted usually the next day. So for now, we're, we're (laughs) of course, looking into as we get more comfortable and get better at doing this thing. Remember, like Taylor said, we're four dudes talking on the internet about sports. But as we get better, we are wanting to go into maybe a little bit of a live show type format. But for right now, the the live chat feature really isn't something that's feasible. So that's why we wanted to introduce the Q&A section and get people's feedback and things that they'd like to hear on the podcast. Because at the end of the day, this is something that we want the entire Panther family to be able to enjoy listening to and contribute and build a sense of community, which again is part of the reason why we're doing the survey. 
Also because we're trying to build a brand here and we want to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to make sure that the people that consume our content feel like their time is being well spent and that they're getting something out of it as well. So if you haven't already, please make uh, sure to go on the website and fill out the survey. It's not super long, but there are some questions that require a little bit of time to respond to. Uh, we are getting some good stuff, so thank you to those of you who have already done that. Uh, since the last time we posted a podcast, we've uploaded a couple things to the website. If you want to go check those out, there's a little bit of a deep dive on the Convocation Center updates that I put up last week. We've got uh, men's and women's basketball schedule uh, stuff posted up there, and we are going to be doing coverage of both this year. I know last uh, last basketball season, it was mostly the men. We are going to expand and cover the men and the women. Obviously, you can't with, what what is it, 40 games across two teams, you can't really go as in-depth as we have been with football with four or five things. But we're going to try. We're going to try because, like I said earlier, we want this thing to be the best it can possibly be. And, of course, if you have any suggestions, ideas, comments, questions, please let us know. Our DMs are always open on Twitter, Facebook. You can email us if you want. Or if you know one of us in real life, hit us up and say, hey, I've got this idea that I want you guys to check out. And it's not a done deal that we might be able to do everything you guys ask for, but we're going to try. We want to make sure that we're doing the best we possibly can. Uh, if you are not already following us on all of our social media, go ahead and do that. We had a pretty good uptick in followers the past couple of weeks. So we appreciate you guys sharing stuff and engaging with us. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter as at Thursday night. And we're also on YouTube uh, where we post highlight videos and all the podcast episodes also get posted on there. We're working on some other video ideas. I know some of you have, who have answered the survey have indicated different types of video content you might like to see. We're working on those. We've got some cool ideas coming up for the last half of football season going into basketball, so keep it posted there. Uh, other than that, guys, do you have anything else? Off weeks are weird. Go Panthers. Go Panthers indeed, and off weeks are weird, but football team's going to take some time to get right, get rested up, and so are we. Anyway, thanks for listening, and uh, go fill out the survey. Go Panthers. We'll see you next week. See you. Okay, bye.